Welcome to Talk Back. I'm Kahari. And I'm Rishi. And we're two best friends talking theater and culture while spotlighting our Black and South Asian communities. I should say this is really exciting because in preparation for this episode, Kahari and I haven't talked all day, which is a very rare occurrence. So... Slash, that's not even, that's not even true. We've talked today, we just haven't FaceTimed today. We haven't FaceTimed, and we also left each other audio messages, so. (laughs) (laughs) So, so, We're so fucking dramatic. But listen, this is, um, this is, it's it's a milestone for us in that way. So, how are you, Ka? I just think holidays are interesting. Like, I even posted on my social today to ask um, my Black friends, like, who celebrates Kwanzaa? Because I think Kwanzaa is... A holiday that also is kind of um there's a lot of political yeah. nuance there um and there's a lot people have their reasons for celebrating versus not i can't be simple about things and i'm right. like okay to, what is what is actually going on here <laughs> you can't just fucking enjoy something being annoying anyways welcome to talk back everyone we're, we're happy to be back today we're talking about um, some new movies that are out slash coming out. So we're going to be talking about August Wilson's My Rainey's Black Bottom. And then we're also going to talk about One Night in Miami. Both are adaptations of plays by Black playwrights. Um, so we're really excited to, to get into it. My Rainey's Black Bottom is a play by August Wilson who is uh, probably the most famous Black playwright of all time, one of the most famous playwrights of all time. Denzel Washington announced that he's working with HBO to produce all 10 of August Wilson's plays um, for the screen. And when I heard this, I just remember feeling like I was blown away. I was so excited. Um, and Fences came out a few years ago. It's earned Viola Davis her first Oscar. Fences is probably August Wilson's like most famous. And uh, now Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is the, the second installment. The story mostly follows the, the band players who are waiting for Ma to arrive as they, you know, tell jokes, philosophize, um, and, and argue with each other. And... Uh, the, the film, Beyond Viola Davis, stars a bunch of like theater staples, including Glenn Turman, Coleman Domingo, who is Rishi's love, like, love. Rishi's guy right now. One of the and, great. And, and, and Michael Potts. And then, of course, um, Chadwick Boseman, who, who died of colon cancer in post-production, um, making Black Bottom his final performance. The central uh, tension of the play is between Ma Rainey, Viola Davis's character, and Chadwick Boseman's character, um, Levy. Is it Levy? Levy. Levy, uh, Levy is has a lot of like vision in him, and is really focused on like new um, possibilities for music and and for honestly like his entire life, um, which Chadwick embodied perfectly. Like even just his bulging eyes, the whole movie, like uh, kind of personified his fixation on on like moving forward and on the future his performance is really like the most special part of this movie which is really moving given his his passing and 
I was just so overwhelmed with emotion watching him. Yeah. Um, and it's a really explosive part, and it's a really good part. What moved me about his performance was not just that he had such a command of the language, but like you said, his physicality, his close-ups. Like, he was yeah. just lit from within. Even if this hadn't been his final performance, I think this would be have been marked as the performance of his career. He's truly astonishing in the movie. And, and also, Levy is such a complex, dynamic, tragic, just in in like entrancing character so it's like it was such a joy to watch him do what he was so good at and it just makes me sad because I think so much of his, his filmography was obviously playing these heroes and this was one of the first really like complicated mm-hmm. um, flawed you know characters he ever played and you know I'm just grateful that we got as much as we did and that we got this final performance how did you feel about Viola? I am always impressed by her her acting she just one, her command, her command of language. I feel like she's one of the foremost interpreters of August Wilson. But I know there's lots of, of conversations about the performance. I, I do think there's something about Viola that's very flashy. And like, you can always tell that she's acting um, compared to like some of the people like Coleman Domingo, like for example, whose performance was so subtle um, and felt really just lived in. Um, so I do think that's just, that's just part of what, what she does but I really enjoyed the performance overall. I just want to give a shout out because like, you know, like Ma Rainey and Levy are definitely the flashy roles, but like Coleman Domingo and Glenn Thurman are such natural, grounded, consistent actors. And like, you know, like truly can like, you know, they can like make any scene truthful. So I just, I just found it such a joy to watch them. Uh, And totally, I'm just like, so for all of these good, you know, actors, like black actors, brown actors, like like all of them getting these opportunities because just the fact that like, you know, Denzel is going to make 10 of these is just like, we're going to give so many great opportunities to, you know, so many black creatives in general. And what, mm-hmm. a, what a blessing that is. Do you see Denzel like gave a list of possible directors that he's talking to for the other ones? Wait, he said, who's uh, on it? He said that up. Uh, He's trying to get Barry Jenkins to do the piano lesson, which, first of all, fuck me up. That would be insane. And that's a good marriage. Like, that's a good play for Barry could, Jenkins. And yeah, and then also, like, he, was talk- he said he's talked to Ava. Even, apparently, Coleman Domingo himself wants to direct Seven Guitars, mm-hmm. which is interesting. So, yeah, I- I'm interested to see what happens whenever there is a play that comes to film. There's always this conversation about, like, how do we open it up? Most plays are, like, in a room, people talking, and it's like, how do we yeah. make it more cinematic? And I think it's an interesting mm. tension because it's important that these plays are seen and are preserved in this way. And, I, and that's why I support what Denzel's doing so much. But I also think film is all about behavior and it's all about mm. just watching it. Monologues are like sometimes not as interesting as just- A close up, yeah. yeah. Space. And like, there were moments, like there's a moment when Glenn Thurman's giving a speech and Chadwick is just like in the hallway, going on Chadwick reacting. And I'm like, see, I love that shit. Cause I think that was, that was opening it up a little bit, but. I think it's always going to be a challenge, but I'm interested and excited to see how these really smart people tackle it. What did you think of the the arguments of the movie? There's the central tension, but underneath it all is like the real tension, which is, you know, these black creatives who are being exploited by these white producers, you know, Levy's entire frustrations to the move, throughout the movie. It's like he talks about how he talks to the white man, how he doesn't trust the white man. But at the same time, he's really like pining all his hopes on the white man validating him through his music. And I think seeing the way that rejection leads to the, you know, the violence at the end of the movie, I think that's, um, 
such a powerful commentary on just the way in which like black people are exploited and and white people so sad that. and i don't know i i will say like that's one of the things i loved about the final shot of the movie which is not in mm -hmm. play it's an all-white band playing levy's song and or levy's version of ma's song and it's so dead and stale and bland and it's just <laughs> like they've you know, they've replaced the passion, they've replaced authenticity that was in the room before, but it's like, they're gonna fucking profit off of it anyway. It's just under the surface of the play the entire time. A question that the play poses is, where do black people direct their, their rage? Like, where can we best direct our rage to live a life? Because Levy, <laughs> rage was building in him because of all of the racism he experienced and his family experienced. If we fight back directly to racism, we die trying. All right, so what do we do? Like direct our rage elsewhere. So Levy directs the rage at himself and is in, at the other people in the room, which is why he ultimately ends up like stabbing uh, the, the, the character at the end of the play. And it's really difficult for us to cope with all of the, the oppression we experience. So then where do we cope? Like we, we play music, um, we, we participate in some type of creative or cultural expression. Um, but then because we live in a capitalist society, like we feel the need to monetize it. And then it goes back to like dealing with all of the marginalization of, of being black in this country. It's heartbreaking, but it's also some real shit. So a few months back, uh, Kahari and I were really lucky to see an early screening of One Night in Miami. It is a film about Malcolm X, Muhammad Ali, Sam Cooke, and Jim Brown, and the night they spent in a Miami hotel on the night that Muhammad Ali, who was then Cassius Clay, um, beat Sonny Liston. And it's, it's, it was a true historical event. Um, and the film is based off of a, an award-winning play by Kemp Powers about that night. The movie stars Aldous Hodge as Jim Brown. It stars Leslie Odom Jr., one of our faves, as Sam Cooke. It stars Kingsley Benadire as Malcolm X. Um, and it stars Eli Gorey as Cassius Clay and um, a bunch of other like amazing theater actors like Jakina Kalukango is uh, Betty Period. Tony nominee Jakina Kalukango, okay? And then Arisha and I have been on from day one. It also has two-time Tony nominee Jeremy Pope in a small role. Like, it's just peppered with really great theater people. One thing I admired about what they did with it was, you know, even though it mostly takes place in this hotel room, their use of flashbacks, their use of giving them background before, it. they really brought a lot of life into it. Um, one of my favorite sequences in the movie is when Malcolm X is recalling the night Sam Cooke's audio went out at his, at his um, concert. And Sam Cooke led the entire audience in this acapella rendition of his song. And while they're in the hotel, it goes back and forth between the hotel and the concert. And like, there's percussion between both and Leslie singing. And it's truly like this beautifully shot sequence. And I was like, Honestly, that's so inspiring that she was able to put this beautiful sequence in the middle of what was once a play. I really appreciated the directorial work that she put into this movie. I just think, you know, it's a very hard thing to do. And for her to 
you know, even attempt that, I think it's just amazing. Regina King is a fantastic director and like the performances in this movie were similarly, you know, really wonderful. And it's really hard to play icons and you're, you have four icons up there and all those men killed it. I thought that this movie had lots of visual confidence, emotional flair. I think it was a wonderful directorial debut for King. So thrilled for her. Kind of similar to, to Wilson, the movie centers around like people in a room talking. And I just get really excited by the idea of Black people talking in a room, period. But I think what's different about One Night in Miami is that it's these prolific Black cultural icons before there were kind of icons. The most compelling tension in the film is like between Malcolm X and uh, Sam Cooke's philosophies for how Black people should operate in society. And then it's also interesting because Malcolm X is leaving the Nation of Islam at the same point where Cassius Clay is trying to convert into Islam and join the Nation of Islam and, and, and change his name. So lots of just like complex dynamics between all of the characters. You were bringing together a political leader, a singer songwriter, a, a football player, a boxer. Um, and they were all kind of like sharing their unique positionalities and, and their visions for black futures. Mm. I always get excited when I see like black people from different fields, like collaborating together. This was just like really, cool for me. Like I was envisioning like, oh my God, I wonder if LeBron, Ta-Nehisi Coates, Serena Williams, and uh, yeah. John Legend are just like in a room talking right now, aspiring for, for where we can go. That just like makes me excited. I don't like when Black professionals and, and Black thinkers and Black intellectuals and artists are siloed. I really think we're more powerful and more interesting when we come together. So the whole conceit of this movie excited me for that reason. One thing that I've been thinking about a lot um, in the movie is just this idea of how do you really have these conversations? And also just, I think it's also really chilling knowing that the central conflict in this movie is between these two men who less than a year after the event in the hotel room, both were assassinated. It presents something that's kind of bleak, but there's so many layers to it. And, and, you know, resonates well in 2020, kind of we're post the Obama era of thinking we're in this um, post-racial society. Um, people saying like, oh, Obama's president, like everything's fine. Well, okay, like Malcolm X and Sam Cooke were at the top of society and they were both killed in racist incident. But I guess saying the affirmative that the change is gonna come is the best we can do to manifest it into existence. I'm really happy not only that these two adaptations of plays by Black playwrights starring all Black actors um, are, you know, out right now, but I also think the, the two movies are in conversation with each other. One, they both feel like hangout plays, mm -hmm. um, like, you know, they're both mostly just like Black men in the room talking, dreaming, debating. And I feel like it's in those deeper conversations where we really see people's essence and people's truth. And Wilson was 
so good at that, at using language to show the inner life of his characters. And I think, you know, Powers does it really well in One Night in Miami too. Because actually what I like about One Night in Miami is that it's not like a biopic. It is a fictional account, which I feel like allows us to see what Malcolm X, like how he really thinks, how he really feels. So much of the work that centers Black people, especially in film, is us in shackles, us struggling, living our worst lives. Um, and, you know, both Wilson and Powers don't shy away from our trauma, but they show how sometimes Black people simply being Black in a room together can be the moments of the utmost joy, hilarity, and communities. To be able to have those light, celebratory, just like breezy moments, which I think both of these movies have, it's such a beautiful thing to see. It's so good to just have so many different people who are amplifying these voices and, you know, allowing new talent to come through and do it. Like Kemp Powers, he has, you know, two movies out this year. He's never, you know, worked in film before and is likely, you know, I love the Oscars. He's going to walk away with probably like two nominations for two of the best movies of the year. That's mm -hmm. so exciting. But it's also a testament to like how many talented people are there out there who are just, been, who are just kind of waiting to be put on in general. Totally. It's like, not, yeah. Yeah, we just have It's to not a pipeline issue. It's not a pipeline not issue. A pipeline. I'm thinking a lot about Howard and yeah. HBCUs. Kent Powers went to Howard University in Washington, yeah. D.C. Chadwick Boseman um, is a Howard grad. Um, shout out to like my whole entire family, mm -hmm. um, like every male except for me, uh, went to Howard. And HBCUs were created because Black men were not or didn't have the, the right at the time to study at white institutions. And then post Jim Crow, you know, when black men and black women are able to, to attend college, um, we kept going to HBCUs because they were safe spaces for us to intellectualize, organize, find community and grow to our adulthood outside of the white gaze. And I think both Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and One Night in Miami have that spirit of HBCUs. Them being hangout plays where Black people are just like talking, chatting, activating separate from the white gaze. But then also like, I, I don't think either completely um, separates from the, the trauma and baggage of being in uh, a white supremacist capitalist society, but the characters, you know, have elongated, elongated moments of Black song and dance, like at an HBCU, like with stepping and shit, or like Black Joy with all the laughs and and Black visions for the future, which are like the academic missions of HBCUs. So um, I think to your point of like, we need to put on more talent. I think the talent doesn't just come from Juilliard. It doesn't just come from NYU. There are so many Black talented artists who need to be put on and it's really exciting to see people like Chadwick and, and Ken Powers having awesome moments in, in cinema right now. And I fully expect to see um, more names like them coming out in the coming years. We need to keep building like an infrastructure that allows this to continue. And we need to keep also just honoring the talent that is there. And it's trying to do interesting things because another thing too is when we're just operating from this place of tokenism, representation, just for like the basic look of it, we're also yeah. missing the chance to tell really cool new stories and mm -hmm. to really kind of imagine new possibilities for what art can be. It's like, we don't want to just, you know, replace white people with black people and not be specific. We want to put something new and fresh there. So like, 
you know, to your point of like wanting a new Harlem Renaissance, that's not just something that's happening in the film world or the theater world. That's something that's happening online. That's something that's happening on TikTok. That's something that's happening everywhere. And, you know, just support, support all artists who are doing that work. Yeah, to seeing more of us win. I'm so excited. If you enjoyed Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, be sure to check out August Wilson's other nine plays in the Century Cycle, available anywhere that sells plays. And also check out the documentary on him on Netflix called Giving Voice, which is about the August Wilson competitions that are happening all over America. Shout out to Coda Blue, who won the Connecticut State August Wilson monologue competition and was supposed to go to the national competition in um, New York City, but then COVID hit and she wasn't able to participate, but a really cool program that my little sister dominated in with a Ma Rainey monologue. One Night in Miami is out on Prime Video on January 15th, so definitely check it out. It's an incredible movie. The writer, Kemp Powers, also has Soul. I'm so excited to watch that, and Rishi and I will probably chat about that on the podcast as well. If you enjoyed the episode you just heard, please subscribe, rate, and review. If you want to continue the conversation, call us out, cancel us, or whatever, follow, tag, and DM us on social media. I'm at Kahari underscore blue on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Rishi Metallic on Twitter and at Rishi Prava Metallic on Insta. This episode was produced by Kahari Blue and Rishi Metallic. It was edited by Isabel Merrill and featured music by Jazak Gammon, a.k.a. Marinate. We will see you next time.